I'm Richard Bolas, and welcome to the Dad Mindset Show, where I explore different perspectives on fatherhood with the aim of becoming less bad at being a dad. This episode, I talk with Dom Zilker, a high school teacher and founder of the Full Cycle Bike Program. Dom and I discuss everything from him emigrating from Poland as a child to handling high-stress situations when dealing with teenagers. But that situation could have occurred 10 more times if I hadn't built certain strategies to deal with these, these kind of kids. Now, I have to apologise profusely for the background noise during this episode. The only way Dom and I could arrange to do this interview, uninterrupted by kids, was off-site in the van down near our local beach. Background noise aside, though, I hope you take some gold from this interview, just as I have. So, let's get amongst it. Dom Zilker, welcome to the show. Yeah, good day, Rich. Good to be here. <laughs> it's, it's great to finally get together to do this. Sunshine, great views. We're actually overlooking the ocean, cosy corner. Are you pretty pleased with the uh, location? It couldn't be better, Rich. <laughs> well, I just thought I'd uh, pull out all the stops. No, you've done well. I'm ready. I'm ready for this uh, amazing interview that you're going to conduct. <laughs> no, it's all about you. You've Us. To, we're you, the dads, Richard. Okay, we're the dads. Awesome. So, so Dom, can you give us a bit of your backstory? Uh, you want historical backstory? Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, born in Poland uh, in 1980. And this was a time in Poland when communism was a bit shaky and on the way out. So, uh, mum and dad were also a bit concerned about this whole thing so we made a move to Austria with the hope of finding another land to settle down and give me the best opportunity in life. So from Austria parents got their bearings and decided Australia would be the best place. Right and was Austria a usual sort of... Well Austria was like a holiday opportunity where people would um, get their bearings because it was a... Well, not a safe haven away from the communist rubbish that was going on, but it was a destination close enough to Poland where people could go um, and decide safely what they wanted to do with their lives. And a lot fled to Canada and uh, the US, but Australia was also a destination. So it was one of the destinations that were sanctioned that you could go to from that from Poland? No, I don't think it was. Right. No, and I don't know the full story, but um, somehow Austria was, yeah, was the place where they thought would be the safest to make a call. Right. And, and if I ask Dad, see, this is a problem. If I start asking these questions, it's a whole day gone. <laughs> and he's told me a heap of times, but, I, you know, I keep forgetting because it's not that important to me anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And so when you grew up in Australia, so whereabouts did you grow up? Oh, sorry. So you'd have been one when you came to Australia? Yep, one. So we arrived in uh, Sydney and then settled down in Newcastle because there was a lot of industry. So Dad got a job there. Uh, we spent a bit of time there until more people started arriving from Poland and then making a move down to Melbourne uh, in the western suburbs of Melbourne. So we decided, you know, a lot of friends and um, people my parents knew were settling down, so we thought we'd come down as well. And we basically created a, a community in the western suburbs. And it would have been really tight-knit, I imagine. Oh, amazingly tight-knit, yeah. Yeah, and fun, real fun memories of all that. Um, a lot of those people are, are still around. And we still keep in contact, which is awesome. Was it um, sort of like everyone was seen as like an uncle, that type of oh, absolutely. Piece of village to raise a boy type thing? Absolutely. And when I see them, it's still Vujak and Chacha, which is auntie and uncle. I don't call them anything else. 
And these are people that, you know, I spent probably a good 10 years with and haven't seen for 25. So, yeah, it's that kind of vibe. W- would they have had children your age that you played with? Now? Yeah, it's absolutely. Almost like the, the parents of your friends became your aunts and uncles. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, and real, yeah, real powerful, positive place to be um, and very fortunate for that because, yeah, I guess Australian kids don't really get that opportunity. Why do you think that is? Well, because... Th- they um, they're born into uh, a lot of safety, a lot of certainty. Um, we didn't have that, you know, being uh, fresh off the boat, pretty much. Um, we had to stay together to ensure our safety and opportunities, um, keep the language alive and the culture um, that we bought from Poland. So I guess that was really powerful. But then I also looked outside of that and thought, geez, these Aussie kids have it so cool. Like it's just a bit more relaxed. They don't have to go to Polish school on the weekends. Um, so I always wanted a bit of that too, and to get out. What, what are your fondest memories of those times? Uh, definitely not poly school, because that was a burden every Saturday, even though now I'm fluent and very grateful for it uh, in Polish. So th- I guess, look, those were good times. But the best times were the basketball team that we created. Polish basketball team, uh, boys all my age, which was amazing to have that many boys at the same age group that we could form a team. Uh, and we were in a couple of competitions around the western suburbs, which was um, we were coached by a Polish fellow that came out, had no English skills, had no family, and took on uh, the team just for the sheer pleasure and joy of it. And how long did he coach you guys? He coached us all the way through, so he probably it was an eight-year stint. Ups and downs, um, he had some health issues, so that was always tough, but other people would rally around, including my dad, who had no idea about basketball, uh, but was always there and uh, took control at times. So, yeah, it was really much for the boys and ensuring that we had an opportunity and s- stay together. I mean, that's what the, our parents wanted, to keep the Polish boys together and maintain that the culture that obviously we kind of left behind. Yeah. And when your dad sort of came in, you said he didn't play basketball, he had no sort of background in it. No. So what was his part in that sort of team dynamic? He was there for the boys, Richard. <laughs> in what way? So, yeah, dad, God, and it's hard to kind of paint a picture of your dad. But look, the best way to describe him is uh, quite, he's very socially aware um, he understands, like, he's he grew up in tough times, extra, like, massive family, seven kids, um, and his mother died really young, so he was brought up by his dad. Um, so you could imagine back in those days, he went through a bit, and I think coming here and uh, having all these opportunities, gratitude was a big part of who he was. So if he had a group of boys... Um, you know, in front of him, then he was just so grateful that that existed and he wanted to be a part of it and make it even better than what it was. So, like a real positive figure that everyone just thrived off. And the other guys loved him. They still do. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they would come over every Saturday night, would go out as, um, you know, early 20s. And be like, mate, we're here to see Ziggy. Like, we want to drink with Ziggy, not you. So, and then they would hang out in the back and, you know, sit down with dad and carry on. That That's sort of bloke. Cool. And he's still, you know, he's, what is he, nearly 70, I think. And uh, he's still the same, same guy. So what was it about your dad versus their dads, do you think? Uh, dad didn't take himself seriously at all. Dad uh, had really good values and perspective on life, uh, which wasn't forced upon anyone. 
he listened, a really good listener, Dad is, um, but also a good storyteller. So, I mean, look, just well-rounded, positive person to be around. Positive person. Yeah. Which people gravitate towards. Yeah, I don't think I've heard him say a bad word to anyone except you. Yeah, he doesn't really like me. No, he likes... <laughs> look, I'm sure he likes me. And Dad, if you're listening, give us a call, mate. No, no I mean that in the nicest possible way because I actually think it's a redeeming feature of you and your dad because when I watch you guys work together, you lay into each other, but it's almost like your best mates. Yeah. And then, like, there's no bad blood afterwards, is there? No, and this is, like, we are brothers. And because I didn't have any siblings... Uh, who else was I meant to, um, you know, vent my anger or frustrations on? And it was mum and dad. And usually I remember in my teens, I'd be like, well, I don't have any brothers and sisters, so who am I meant to do this to? Um, mum wasn't as receptive always as dad, but dad would understand that, hey, yeah, I do have needs, whether it's, um, you know, venting physical frustration or talking about stuff that other parents wouldn't. He knew that, um, you know, he was the only one there because I didn't have any siblings. Although I had a lot of older friends in the Polish community. Uh, dad was the go-to so that brotherly relationship is what formed over the years and I can swear at him and he doesn't get offended Uh, whereas other boys would be like did you swear at your dad I'm like yeah it's fine there's no problem and even like you know renovating our house now uh, the banter that goes on is um, something mum can't handle because it's full-on but it's exactly what I would think two brothers would act like so I'm lucky there yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah. I think a it's lot been... of people look on to those sort of relationships with a bit of envy. Mm. But again, um, what allowed that? Who knows? It's just Dad's perspective, isn't it? He saw this kid that probably had needs and needed to um, just be uh, open-minded with him. I mean, I wasn't the best kid in the world. I wasn't a troublemaker by any means. But um, yeah, and he just provided all these different opportunities for me to explore and develop yeah what what are some of those opportunities because you obviously basketball was one of your first sort of loves and then bikes you mentioned this earlier didn't you yeah bikes and yeah i I keep thinking the bikes are a big part of my life and part of that polish community which the more i think about was actually massive uh there were some older boys and they were a good probably eight years older than i was and they were uh, amateur bike riders so they would race in poland and obviously they they raced here in australia and when i would play basketball and we lived in front of a school so i'd shoot hoops um sometimes mum or dad would whistle out for dinner but i would see these boys in their gear on these fancy bikes going just disappearing down you know the suburban streets and i'd wonder like where the hell are they going and I remember these um, situations vividly, and that just kind of resonated with me. I thought, geez, this is really adventurous what they're doing. They look kind of cool. Um, They've got these cool bikes, and I just want to be part of that. So I really got interested in bikes, and obviously they they would help me out with bits and pieces, but we could never afford one of these fancy bikes, nor could my parents justify it, uh, because basketball was a big part of my life as well. Uh, So then... Dad, the opportunity Dad provided was uh, he would find bikes, bits and pieces, bring them home, and we would create rideable bikes. Um, so I had an opportunity to, you know, get amongst it. And I don't think it was intentional, but what he created was an opportunity for us to collaborate, communicate, spend time together, definitely argue. But he would showcase me, you know, a whole lot of stuff from problem solving to mechanical concepts. And I would just learn. And he always used to say, you're so lucky to have me to show you this stuff. What dad does this? 
And I thought all dads do that. But they obviously didn't because some of my mates still don't know how to change a tube or, you know, aren't too confident when it comes to tinkering with stuff. Where would he would just give me power tools and be like, just do it. <laughs> Which is great. And I'm, I, yeah, I really resonate with that. And I hope I'm the same with my kids because that's a great way to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And how much time do you reckon you spent with him, like, during your normal week when you were working on bikes and stuff? So he would be home at 4.30 on the dot, and from we would have dinner early, and after that, it was he was there. The whole time? The whole just time. Just to hang out with you? He, Dad didn't have any hobbies, still doesn't, and sometimes I attack him and say, Dad, you need a hobby. And he's like, my hobby, you're my hobby. Not in that accent. I could probably do the accent a bit better. Give it uh, a go. You're my hobby. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, and you know, uh, it's pretty. That's pretty emotional stuff because he does. Since day one, he's always been there for me, and I've been the centre of that. Whether it's just hanging out, whether it's renovating, or whether it's you know tinkering with bikes. Um, and now his hobby apparently is my kids, so his grandkids, um, and that's the sort of dad he is. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, very lucky. Now I understand that. Um, and hence, uh, I've got this, you know, big responsibility to be that sort of dad, hopefully, if I can as well. What are you, what are you focusing on? What, what do you take? Oh, first of all, can you tell us a bit about your boys? My boys, uh, three and five. Uh, good little boys, two different uh, humans. Oddie's quite sensitive, um, very delicate. And Lars is the complete opposite. Very boisterous, um, doesn't feel pain, which is amazing. And um, together, they the dynamics are just beautiful. So again, you know, how lucky is that? I didn't plan that. I tell people I did. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that one. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll I'll take that. Yeah. So it's yeah, good boys. Um, very responsive boys. Ness and I, and I need to mention Ness because she has a massive part in this, obviously. Uh, we bounce off each other really well, but they're good boys for now until we'll see what happens when testosterone kicks in properly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the whole court's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. And then I'll become Ziggy. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, the court. Tell us about the court, Richard. Well, I'd say we were massively lucky in finding it because it's got to be one of the best streets in Torquay where there are young families all together, similar age kids. And it's at the top of a slight hill, so people don't naturally sort of wander in there. You don't get any traffic driving through, so it's game on in the street for yeah. skateboarding, biking, basketball. I mean, we've even got a hoop put up in the street, a yeah. communal hoop. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we have, like, barbecues every few weeks. Occasionally, we have, like, a Christmas guys bike ride party. We do. Which is pretty cool. We're showing off now. We are. We but the are. Best Let's part wind the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, the you. best part is that gradient that slopes down to that busy road down the bottom where yeah. all the kids seem to funnel down. Oh, yeah. And on all the, the balls. Especially on the push bikes the, where yeah. they didn't have the pedals when they're it's the amazing. balance bikes. Yeah, that was a, a really good testing ground for just how far a three-year-old could roll Absolutely. before stopping. And what the mums won't say, um, you yeah. know, won't hurt them. That's so right. It's all good. And there's the curb and the wall on the other side of that main street to yeah. stop the kids once they roll across that Absolutely. road. Absolutely. It's fine. <laughs> People have experienced worse. So, yeah, lucky. We're lucky. And again, sometimes it is down to luck, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Because you look at the streets just either side, could have easily... 
have just gone and, and found a property there. Mm-hmm. But they, they seem to have a totally different atmosphere. Yeah. And which is cool. This is the other thing that um, I constantly think about when I sip my coffee in the morning and watch through the window is that there are, we've got four dads, maybe a fifth one on the way. I can't speculate, but (laughs) don't know. Four dads doing operating in slightly different ways. I wonder how that's going to pan out down Mm. the track. Do we all have to sit down and do a podcast together and make sure that we align our ideas so our kids are on the right track? No, I think we sit down and definitely talk through who's winning at the moment. Yeah, like a scoreboard. <laughs> no, I was thinking internal. Oh, like internal, you're in, right. You know, what's working, what's not, because I'm struggling here. Uh, you guys seem to be killing it over there. Right. And I'm sure everyone's got... Oh, everyone's... Oh, absolutely. I'm hoping everyone's got things they're struggling with. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's uh, getting people to speak about it, isn't it? Mm. And asking questions. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the things that drove me to start the show really was some of the best conversations I've had are sort of when you're camping or something when you've had a bit of extended time everyone's all the stuff's been taken care of throughout the day and then finally we get down sit down around the campfire glass of red wine looking at the stars and it's after that first hour or so when everyone's sort of oh we've talked about the usual things that are socially acceptable like footy yeah. Uh, you know what's going on with the news that sort of thing and then it's like so how are things really going yeah, exactly. and that's when yeah. you really cut in and, and some of the gold that comes out of those conversations has been great yeah. from my perspective because I'm desperate to learn as much as I can about what works in this because there is no training manual no there isn't and that's the thing like there are so many books which is great but God, there's a lot of confusion, and I feel for parents who uh, have obviously maybe tried to acquire some knowledge, but you know are battling with traditional ideas from parents, new research, um, you know mainstream media stuff on the millions of podcasts that are out there. Or what you see in TV shows, all that. Absolutely, confusing the hell out of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's why I'm here, and I guess that's why I'm on this podcast to just straighten it all out, and make it <laughs> that's simple. Right. And Once and for all of them. Absolutely. So where do we start? <laughs> well, I mean, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you, because you're a teacher. Tell yeah. us a bit about that. What got you into that? Yeah, right. So at school, I um, I enjoyed school, aspects of it, but God, I thought it could be so much better than it was. Um, I never wanted to be a teacher because I thought going back into that environment was just boring. So uh, I pursued a career in fitness, um, dabbled in that for seven years, which was great. Um, Again, I'm quite social. I enjoy interacting with people and creating relationships. So that was a good place to be. But something was missing. I wasn't really connecting with enough people, I thought, at the time. And I was lucky enough, here we go with the luck again, for a class of teenagers to come in one day that I had to fill in um, for an instructor. And um, that was just such a positive experience. Connected with... A whole class, so I think there were like 25 kids. We had fun. There was awesome feedback given to me. Um, The teacher then brought the kids back because they were part of like a vet program for fitness. And then I just wondered, I'm like, maybe I should work in a school because I can connect with so many more people. So more bang for my buck. Um, And then I decided to go back to uni. And at that stage, it was a one-year diploma that I just had to do to get my teaching up and going. So I thought, God, this is, yep, let's just do this. Awesome. And where did you start straight out of uni um, after you'd done that 
one-year teaching course. Yep. First day on the job was, uh, God, I don't know. I didn't enjoy it at all. I got, I was lucky enough to get an ongoing position from the get-go, uh, along with three other blokes who uh, were straight out of uni as well and were mates to this day. So that was amazing, meeting these blokes, but the school was a dumping ground for all the kids that were expelled um, from other schools in the cluster or in our area, and it was a tough place to be. Now, I was confident, overly confident at the time, you know, mid-twenties, but I had no idea what I was in for. So, learnt a lot in those first two years, and look, those first two years, I really wanted to quit. I thought this is just, it's it's not worth it. Until I started, you know, to get some wins. And when I got wins, I thought, God, maybe this is worth it. Um, Because the effort that you put in at times has the most profound and amazing um, outcomes. And that's why I'm still at it and loving it. There's no other job I think I could be doing than um, working with young people. Can you remember a point in those first couple of years where you started to see the light? What were your fondest memories withered some gems in the rough okay so there were some real full-on situations where uh things got heated between myself and some students and when i say heated like these were hands-on situations so um me losing control kids losing control me intervening um a lot of risk involved um for my own health and safety a lot of risk involved for other kids and that sort of made me think god what is going on in this world why, how can this be, like it was, what was it, uh, 2006 or seven? And I thought, God, I thought I'd left all that stuff behind at high school and stuff's improved and evolved, which it hadn't. I reckon it went backwards. So, for, look, those, those things were epic. And working with these boys at the time, um, we had similar ideas and were battling the same demons. But we thought, if, it, if we can't help these kids, who the hell is going to help them? And how are we going to help these kids turn it around? So um, that, that was really, I think, uh, pivotal in deciding, okay, am I staying and am I going to try and sort this out or am I just going to go back to doing something a bit easier? Yeah. Um, can you take us through one of those situations? Is what, what sticks in your mind? What, what were one of the various right. situations and how did you deal with it? So, we went on a ski camp, right? This is my second year. Took a bunch of kids on ski camp. Um, good kids. There's some really boisterous boys in there, but which had never been to the snow. They were super excited. Anyway, so I'm drying all the kids' gear. You can imagine this, right? I'm setting this up. I was responsible to make sure that everyone's gear was dry, so it's in the little drying room. In the morning, got all the kids ready. All the kids are waiting for me and two teachers outside. And what age are the kids? These are year nine or tens, yeah. So like 15, 16. And then as all the kids disappeared, I had to get myself ready. And I had realized that um, my inner liners for my boots were gone that I had dried. And one a child had taken those for himself and left me with his wet ones. So that wasn't a good thing. I was behind the eight ball, I was flustered because there was a lot going on and we had ski lessons. So um, I went outside with wet ski boot liners, not a good place to be. Um, Rowdy kids, ready to go up the mountain. And then as I was talking with a kid, a massive snowball hit me in the back of the head. 
went down my jacket and I lost my shit. Confronted the boy, grabbed him, um, gave him a good shake. Um, he panicked. Like, this was a kid who, um, you know, he was really at risk and dis disengaged. Gave him a real fair shook. The other teachers were just shocked at what was going on. Um, but from that day onwards, I had a good word with him after the shake. Um, nothing positive. It was all quite a negative confrontational situation. From that day onwards, he was the best kid. You Complete turnaround. Had respect for me. Um, we built a relationship uh, from, from that day onwards that was very respectful um, and quite positive. Now, I was concerned that his parents would be called up to the school and I'd be in all sorts of trouble um, because of this action, which, you know, you wouldn't, you hear about this and you see it in the news and it's full on, but it does happen. Like you're dealing with teenagers, um, it's a high stress situation and sometimes these things happen. The hands-on part is extreme. Uh, the principal at the time knew uh, she was fine, she was awesome, completely understood. But that situation could have occurred 10 more times if I hadn't built certain strategies to deal with these these kind of kids which you know hopefully we get into and it's that um unconditional positive regard stuff and trying to love the kids and shower them with love regardless of the behaviors that they're exhibiting because they come from all sorts of crappy places yeah i didn't get that at the time it was more about me you know doing my thing so that was pivotal i had to learn how to deal with my inner you know frustrations and deficiencies i guess and how did you approach that? Well, obviously, the two teachers at the time were like, wow, that was, what the hell just happened? Um, and then I realized that, yeah, it was quite extreme. And I'm not an aggressive person. I do have a very long fuse, but when that fuse goes, then I really struggle. Um, as you might have noticed yesterday when I lost my keys. It was hard to tell. But... Yeah, oh God. Oh, it was... Yeah, so I'd lost my keys um, and I couldn't find them for a good hour and a half. And I flipped the whole house upside down and was ready to, yeah, re create damage. It, it wasn't just losing your keys though, was it? You'd actually sold something. I sold an item and the guy was there ready to pick it up, cash in hand, couldn't exchange, um, make the exchange. So he went, possibly lost a, you know, a good 600 bucks. So that's what made me really angry. But dealing with that, so, and I, I did resort to some of my strategies, deep breathing, trying to sit down, grab a drink, focus on something else, um, big picture thinking and understand that, hey, it's not the end of the world. But, you know, these things happen. And in schools, it happens daily. And some teachers really struggle with it, especially because they've got stuff going on at home. Yeah. When you said the, the pivotal moment, the two teachers sort of had a chat with you and stuff. What, what sort of, what was the, the trajectory from there? Like, what was the journey that you took to actually get your head around well, dealing with these situations? Yeah, look, I, I really justified what I did well. I think um, it was extreme, but maybe not in that context where all that stuff was going on. If that happened in the classroom, I would have been a bit harder on myself. But I knew that um, being hands-on with a child is definitely not an acceptable way to... Um, uh, exist as a teacher or role model behavior to other teachers and or kids so um you know uh, I, I understood so i just inquired i guess with more experienced teachers and really tried to observe good teachers and get as much as i could from them yeah because asking is one thing and getting the information um i like to kind of see and replicate that's yeah. the way i learn so um 
And the great yeah. thing about being a teacher is you get so much exposure to that on a daily basis, you say. I mean, the, the iterative improvements yeah. that you can make, like, it's yeah. almost like compound interest, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, and I guess that's the real draw card about being a teacher. You get so much experience dealing with all sorts of situations daily. When you come home and deal with your own buffets, you're just an autopilot. Yeah. And magic happens quite easily. So that situation, how would you approach it now, knowing what you know? Oh, it's 10 years old, yeah, isn't it? Great question, Richard. That's, I like that question. So that snowball hits me in the head. I would have turned around. I would have verbally asserted myself and made sure that the child understood how angry and furious I was. Would I show that? No, but I would articulate that with words. And then uh, discuss with the child... Uh, about his objectives or why he did it, what he was trying to get out of it and how we could uh, possibly avoid it in the future. But the main thing is I would want him to take away uh, the effect it had on someone else, which was me. Because that, I think, is a good learning opportunity for them to think about, you know, that cause and effect relationship. Yeah. Which is the bloody world we live in. Everything we do. Do you think most kids in that situation wouldn't have adults respond in that manner? They would be used to, I push this button, I get an angry response, and that's kind of what they're chasing for that sort of thirst for attention yeah. maybe. It's so easy. It's so easy to respond to a kid with frustration and anger because I think that's the uh, innate, um, uncontrolled response. The default. Absolutely. So yep. can you talk us through exactly, like, I mean, if, if you can break it down just on the hoof, like what, you, you say you'd... Basically, turn around and verbally sort of assert yourself. Well, I would want the child to understand that I was... What would you actually say? Because I'm fascinated by this stuff because I don't have as much sort of exposure to this and it would be great to have items in a toolbox. It'd be something like in this context, it'd be like, hey, come here, sit down. Now, that snowball hit me in the back of the head. It's gone down my top. How do you think I bloody feel at the moment? Yeah, good. No? Yeah, get a response from the kid. Try and get the kid to connect with what's going on. And then I would make sure that the kid was listening and we'd engage in conversation. So them seat, I like to sit people down and talk because then that's um, an opportunity to control. The, the distance. Yeah. Well, the distance, the child, the situation, and really ensure that they're understanding that I, I need to get a message across. Yeah, paying um, attention to you. Full focus, yeah, because this is the opportunity where they can learn or um, they can carry on with whatever they're doing because they, they haven't got that information um, from the subject, which would be me. Stern, clear, um, maybe ask questions to get a response and for them to agree that what they did was just plain dumb, plain annoying, um, and that I wasn't pissed off at them and I wouldn't hold a grudge. That's the big thing that I try and instill, especially at school these days. People do dumb shit all the time. You can make mistakes, but use your peanut to make less mistakes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's great. And in that situation, because I'm just imagining that, and I imagine some of the kids that I knew growing up at school would have possibly walked away from the teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of behavior. Yeah. What, so, what, how would you approach that? Yeah, and this has happened in the past. Um, so f- because now I'm very good at ensuring that kids don't feel overly threatened by me and they respect me and they understand if they get in trouble, 
inverted commas, by me that they're going to have a fair go. Yep. They'll, um, I'll give them a fair trial and ensure that um, I'm not putting them down or making them feel worse, but it's, it's just a conversation. And they really respond to that. Back in the day when that happened, I'll just let it go and catch up with them later on when they were um, a bit more chilled out and you know I could actually converse with them. Because at home, you could just imagine parents enable that. There's an argument, kid closes Storms the door, out, yeah. and that's the, the, the standard operating procedure for them. So there's no use trying to instill a new operating procedure when, you know, that takes time to kind of develop. Hmm. Yeah. So would you go after the kid? No. Or would you just... Never, because the kids, uh, once the kid flips or escalates to that point, they're unreceptive. However, and this is the, the beauty of my contradictions on this talk, is that my own kids, I would do the opposite. What would you do? Oh, I would follow them into the room and ensure that we engaged in a conversation of... Um, understanding and an outcome that was positive for all. So I'd follow him into the room, sit him down and have a conversation because I can't have my kids um, think that that's an okay thing to do, to storm off, close the door on dad or mum and, you know, ultimately um, run away with their prize because then they're winning and dad's no longer in control, but they are. And he can't have that. Did, did you take that from your dad as well? Is that how he used to oh, deal with you? Oh, God, yeah, dad... Yeah, dad was extremely um, hands-on. Yep, I would get hidings left, right and centre for really um, poor behaviour. And, you know, it's, I, I, I want to bring up the, the whole smacking thing because, you know, I think it's got a place in society. We don't talk about it. People, I think, freak out a bit about smacking kids. Um, there's a whole spectrum of smacking. There's the little smack to say, hey, Richard, pull your head in. The kid understands that this is... Sorry, I didn't hurt you. Jesus, tonight. that really yeah, it's tough. <laughs> and sometimes I even get in trouble by my wife for doing this. But um, this is what I know, and I think it works. Can I justify it? Yes, because it doesn't go extreme. That spectrum on the other side where you've got parents belting their is it, kids... Is it more to just attract focus? Like Focus and a bit of assertion. Um, I think it's important for especially young boys to understand that, hey, dad's in control, pull up, or there's severe consequences. So there's that rigor that I want to uh, also maintain at the extreme side when things get a bit of out of hand. Yeah, so I let the kid go because the kid has no concept of um, acting responsibly or, um, I guess, following a process when they do something stupid. Yeah. But my kid, I need to teach him that process doesn't exist. You can't walk away on someone. You yeah. can't shove the door and piss off, which kids do daily at school. Yeah. Yeah. But over time, when you've talked with them afterwards, that sort of behavior would actually reduce in frequency, do you think? With my kids? No, as in the kids at school. So once you say, if that has happened, oh, you've yeah. then caught up with them afterwards, you've then sort of built a bit of rapport, yeah. talked with them, they understand that you're not just going to rip into them. Well, they understand that I yeah, wouldn't rip into them. And it's really tricky because when they go home, they get a, a different process and program um, and this is what makes teaching and life really hard for teachers because they're battling against that world at home which is so diverse for every kid with the standards and values that uh, schools try to you know and it's shared across hundreds of kids correct and so you've talked a lot about boundaries in our past conversations how do you think discipline I mean is that yeah so 
you know, I want my kids to be uh, disruptors. I want them to be unique, their own people, really create their own vision for life. And I don't want them to follow norms. But within that, I, I need them to be respectful and understand that if they are dicks and if they are inflicting pain or, you know, um, just being disrespectful to not only themselves, other people, but the world around them, then that's not or cool. hurting others. Yeah. yeah. So it's really tricky. Be free, be liberal, but also understand that there are strict boundaries in life um, and you need to be a completely respectful person on all levels. Okay. So that's where the boundaries, and I think the tighter the boundaries, the better, so long as you can mirror that with the freedom so they understand that there are two worlds that they can toggle between um, and explore the free world, but still be bound by hay. If I um, take money from these people, obviously it's going to have severe consequences. If I call these people certain names, that's not cool because that will have consequences. Yeah. How do you actually define the difference between the safe sort of play area for expanding horizons and the tight boundaries? That's an art form. <laughs> that's it's that's a, the question. <laughs> yeah. I knew you were going to get me with a question that I have no answer for. Uh, hey, no, we're a work in progress. Yeah, and th this is it. Like, it's on a daily kind of situational basis. The kids are doing stuff, um, and they could be, let's just say, in my um, play area at home where the kids flip all the tubs out and the toys are just everywhere, and they're creating obstacle courses and running amok. Free liberal activity. Are they causing mess? Yes. Is that bad? Um, possibly. Is it good for their learning? Absolutely. Do we let that go? For sure. Do they need to pack up at the end? 100%. And they need to understand that they can't leave that shit lying around because that's, that's that, that boundary where we can't make a mess and leave that. Yeah. Have you ever let it slip, like one day? Oh, never, Richard. I'm onto it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, sometimes you're tired, you just let that stuff go. But then my wife and I do bounce off each other really well. If I'm down, she's up and vice versa. So Batter up. Yeah, Absolutely. And if parents can do that, then that's just twice the power. Do you think that's actually one of the superpowers with you and Ness, that you've actually got that tag team system wired? Absolutely, yep. She learns a hell of a lot from me and what I bring um, from school, and I learn from her on a daily basis um, uh, with skills and approaches that I don't have intrinsically, um, like, you know, actually uh, a bit more compassion, a bit more love for the kids, um, yeah, that, that really motherly kind of instinct, which uh, I like. But yeah, working together is so powerful for us. And if that does slip, then um, I, I think the kids are well drilled enough now to understand that, hey, next time it can't. Yep. Yeah, hopefully. I haven't got any hard data on that anyway. It's, just, <laughs> it's all anecdotal at this stage. Yeah, and, and Ness brings um, certain other skills to the table as well, doesn't she? Because she comes from a corporate background. Yeah, correct. So, yes, very good point. Very process orientated, um, uh, very persistent, and uh, what else? I mean, how would you kind of perceive it looking from the outside in? Yeah, I'd say driven. Yeah, yeah driven. And I always use that word to describe it. So, yeah, very driven um, and tenacious, which is good. Whereas sometimes I, I'm on or I'm off, just like my dad was. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's interesting that I followed those footsteps because um, sometimes I think it's just not worth it to get up in a child's grill for um, something that on another day, I'm like, God, no, that's unacceptable. 
It's all emotional based for me as well. Yeah. But it sounds like at the school you're able to almost remove or diffuse your own emotion before dealing with the situation and it's just that little bit harder at home yeah well at school it's it's a really it's a business um kind of transaction because you've got 50 minutes with a whole group of kids you need a process you need to make sure that you've got a whole schedule um otherwise if you don't uh if you're not prepared for that then you lose that session yeah whereas at home is you know it's a bit more organic and 24 7 and uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't get planning PD sessions. <laughs> no, apart from my mum and dad, which are outdated, let's be honest. <laughs> so fast forward to now, what advice would you give yourself starting school? Yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. And I've got actually a pre-service teacher working with me now and we're having these exact conversations. Learn about the kids, where they're coming from and what they're bringing to school because every kid is bringing a whole lot, a bag full of shit. Some of it really good and some of it extremely bad. So if you don't understand that, um, you're going to really struggle to form relationships and provide strategies that are relevant for that child. And then there's no way you can teach a child if you don't have that down. Yep. Yep. Anything else? Um, Be receptive and flexible. Be humorous because you're not going to win all the time. So you need to laugh at yourself and find strategies for yourself to uh, unwind and de-escalate when you do experience negative stuff, which you will. And as parents, you know, we do as well. It's an interesting point there where you say be humorous and laugh at yourself because I think that can sometimes be something that gets, like, forgotten and almost people are embarrassed to do that. Yeah. And that causes a bit of a a flare-up I've seen. I agree. I've experienced. Yeah. Yeah, look, life is so... I mean, some people take it way too seriously... And I think these days with just the pace of things, you need to laugh. What an easy, <laughs> achievable... Way too short. <laughs> all that, yeah. And it's so easy to do. Um, Dad was the king of that. And, um, you know, that's one of my... Ma- ma- I mean, probably one of my top character strengths and uh, values is to just, yeah, take life... Um, no, don't take it too seriously. Take it seriously when you have to, but when you don't have to... Laugh at it, enjoy it. Because if we look at our, what's that life calendar you showed me? Yeah. Time's ticking away. It is, yep. <laughs> yeah. So now we're in sort of, you know, 2019. What was last week like from your teaching perspective? Um, yeah, really good. Yeah. It was the last week of term, wasn't it? It was the last week of term. You're effectively on holiday now for three weeks. It's two. But that, yeah, week yeah, it's back not really is a week. It's really short. That's no, three weeks. <laughs> uh, three weeks. You could do with four because we work so hard. You meant to laugh? Yep. Yeah. No, um, uh, I'm laughing on the inside. Yeah. No, no look. No, I'm um, actually really jealous. That's that's. I'm I'm struggling right now. You too be- could become a great teacher, Richard. You got so much to offer. Uh, no, the last week was awesome. Look, the kids. Our school is amazing, and our principal has been amazing in creating uh, a whole lot of platforms for us to create positive environments for kids. There's a lot of research out these days to back up the fact that we need to, above all, create a positive, safe environment before we start focusing on quality learning. Yeah. So pretty much our whole term, there's been so much work with our kids uh, for them to establish strategies, for them to establish uh, their own deficiencies and understand what they're good and bad at and how they can possibly help themselves so you self-regulate when things come unstuck. So, um, you know, they've got ownership and agency over themselves as, as young people. 
and that's extremely positive. I've been very lucky um, because I am quite experienced now. I've got two kids, so I'm, I've, I'm very well drilled. So uh, you know, things go smoothly for me for now. Yes, that can change. <laughs> so I'll take it while I can. <laughs> no, it's it's good. Um, what plans you got over the holidays? Uh, we leave for Byron Bay tomorrow, um, and we're taking my parents. Uh, as a little reward for them because they've been such amazing, you know, carers of, of the boys. Both Ness and I work full-time, so just a little family holiday to get away for a whole week, uh, change of scenery. I don't care where we go, really, like the Byron Bay will be obviously nice. How would you describe Byron Bay? Uh, the place I would probably like to live if my family was down there and I had an opportunity to teach at a good school. And with a good school, that's the wrong word. At a school that had was open to creative um, approaches. It's a good place. The climate's amazing. You're close to Sydney. You're close to all the magic on the certain... I mean, where are the, the inland, it's brilliant. Dolphins. Um, dolphins. Turtles. You name it. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. What else do you need in life? Good restaurants. Um, good restaurants. Yeah, yeah. So, look, good place. Um... But like I said, just a change of scenery. I mean, I could go down to Y River and it'll do the same for me. Like, it doesn't matter. Time with kids and family, um, yeah, it'll be brilliant. Yeah. Now, you mentioned, obviously, the Point Cook School where you're at. The principal's amazing. Tell us about the program that he's really got behind. Yeah, so with my bikes, um, when I started out, I, I started dabbling with uh, repairing bikes with kids who'd got thrown out of class so this is where it all started and this started. comes back from, this comes right back from the start right from the start with where, your dad yeah. oh with my dad yeah so obviously that but then at the first school Kialba which no longer exists um, I had to look after bikes for our outdoor ed program and kids who got thrown out of class um, I would just gather around and use their you know their labour power um, to wash the bikes to fix spare tubes and these are all mainly boys who um just were disenfranchised in school. It didn't occur to me at the time that I could make this a program, but over the years and the experiences I had, you know, I also worked in industry, um, in large vehicle repair and a um, couple of bike shops, and I just thought, God, why don't I just bring this all together uh, and give kids a workshop space where they can not only get stuck into hands-on tasks that can transfer to other trades, but um, just enjoy the process of learning, which, you know, a simple... Um, mechanical process of screwing uh, a bolt in or out has such an effect on kids because it's you know, that process you're winning straight away as the, the bolt comes out and I mean the principal's been amazing in recognising that and giving me the, the resources and now in its second year it is going really strong and so describe the actual program so the program is so yeah home ec room has been converted into a bike workshop workshop Full tool setup, full work stands. We've got a um, a little uh, warehouse where we keep all our parts because people donate bikes of all shapes and sizes. The kids learn to pull them apart, and it's all experiential, hands-on learning. So I'm not doing too much um, jibber jabber at the front. It's the kids taking ownership over um, their own learning and me facilitating. And then we, it's the whole idea is for the kids to build up a bike, so learn the skills necessary to be able to build up their bike, and then we donate that bike, or we sell it to someone in the school or the community, and then we, those funds go back into the program. Um, yeah. 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 No, sorry, what were you going to say? This year, we've also got the added bonus of um, 
uh, an enterprise kind of approach where kids can make money from their services. So if they want to fix mum and dad's bike or, you know, tube, then they, the, the school, we've got a set price. But if they get a tip, for instance, for, you know, three bucks, so the whole tube would be $8 to change, they keep the three bucks. So, you know, there's incentive for them to start thinking on that level, um, which I think is really important going into the real world, and especially year 10 next year, where they'll, some of them will have, you know, part-time jobs. That's epic. And you're actually getting parents now just yeah. bring their bikes in to get serviced, aren't you? Absolutely. Which, you know, we've got uh, I've, all the prices that a bike shop would charge. We've gone a third of that, so it's extremely cheap. Um, kids will work on bikes only if they're uh, ready to do so. But I check it, you know, I've got the mechanical background, so I tick it all off. Um, if the parents ever, or if it, customers, we call them customers, Richard, if they ever have any issues, they bring them straight back and the kids then learn about, you know, um, customer satisfaction and making sure that um, they, yeah, they're responsible um, entrepreneurs. That's great. Well, yeah, it's, what, it's, can you think of a moment when you've looked across the workshop and gone, this is epic? Oh, mate. Daily. Give Daily. Us an, give us, go on, give us an example. So, I've got this young chap in my English class um, who just can't, just can't stand school. He's, he's only got mum at home. Um, he doesn't like writing. He can't really write too well. So, uh, in English, he's, he's quite disengaged. And he's got the potential to make a lot of uh, issues for teachers. And he does in other subjects. But I've got this rapport with him. I'm almost like that big brother figure because he's in the program and I've enabled him with his own set of tools. And I said to him, mate, you're in control. These are your tools. What you need to do is this and that. And he's there working on these bikes um, frantically. Just, you know, sometimes it's he was playing with a socket set the other day and trying all the, the different sockets on the ratchet. And he was just astonished at how it all worked and played with that for 15 minutes. And then at the end of the session, I'll be like, all right, boys, you know, time to pack up. Let's get our tools um, all sorted because we need to go. And he'll be like, this is, okay. is it is the session over already? He's like, I can't believe it. Time goes so quickly here. And it's that, that engagement that this child needs and more boys um, of, of that type need more often. Yeah. Why are we forcing them to sit there and write stuff when they don't want to? Or they can't or they don't have the skills yet to do so or they don't see the purpose in it. Whereas when you're fixing a bike, there's clear purpose. And there's a great result. There's an end result. You've completed something. There's a realistic outcome that actually has meaning to, uh, look, I would say the vast majority of the kids working in there because they feel accountable. And I make sure they understand that if they stuff something up, that um, we could get into serious trouble, which we could. So we need to be um, very responsible and accountable. And that's the magic of it. So how do we bring that into mainstream schooling? So teachers don't have to battle with it they can just enable um or facilitate kids doing their own thing yeah god we've got a long way to go <laughs> but it sounds like you're making great inroads. and yeah and look again i'm lucky that this is happening love it and it's uh, hopefully we can take it to the next level um you know as the terms go on that's exciting to watch and the press is certainly loving it as well the press is loving it um we've got a facebook site which i think is now at point cook full cycle or at Full Cycle Point Cook, one of those. Um, I don't really use Facebook much, so this is a big step for me. <laughs> it's a learning curve. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Never stop learning, Richard. That's right. I've told you that since the first day <laughs> we met. Um, so, yeah, that's all happening, and I'm, yeah, loving it. I'm very grateful, very grateful. 
That's great. And what we'll do, we'll throw all links in the show notes. So if anyone wants to you know, track you down, get involved with the program. Oh, absolutely. Dads, dads, get out there. We need bikes. We need um, parts, uh, donations, obviously, being a state schooler, always appreciated. But even if dads just want to get involved in an idea and come in and see what we do, and perhaps they could replicate by themselves in their own sheds, then that's it's a win-win for all. And you've already started talking to other schools, haven't you, about replicating the program? Absolutely. Um, a lot of schools are keen. Uh, a lot of schools don't have space, though, so this is always an issue. Um, but a lot of schools are very uh, receptive to the idea, so fingers crossed we can make magic happen with local government and, you know, just keep the cause happening. That's epic, Dom. Love it. I love you, Richard. <laughs> I love you too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go get some bit now. Okay, so what are you, as a takeaway, what would you like to um, say about, you know, parenting, teaching, any sort of thoughts, advice? All right, yeah, parenting. All right, so, like, if oh, I was... Sorry, uh, let me cut in. So let me phrase that a bit better. So, so Dom, do you have any... Anything you'd like to say to the teachers or parents out there? If, if you do, what would it be? Have a clear plan. Make sure you know where you want your kid to be. Like, what's the objective for your child? And then really find out through your networks or whatever you, you wherever you get your info, how to do that best. Yep. Support your kids based on their needs. Look at them, listen to them, and don't try and force stuff when they're not ready because kids are developing the whole time and, you know, it takes a good 30 years for some people to develop fully, understand themselves and their abilities. So give opportunities, but don't force kids um, because that repels them from, from things, from my experience anyway. So be there when, when, um, when you feel that the child needs, but um, just help your child along. Don't force them along. Yeah. Like little taps on the bum. Provide Don't the, spoon feed them. <laughs> provide I can't the stand spoon feeding, Richard. <laughs> yep. And I mean, that's the other thing I should have spoken about at the start. Um, you know, sometimes we give so much or we help our kids too much and then the kids start learning that, um, you know, there's ways around this. You know, we don't really have to do it by ourselves because mum and dad can figure it out. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think that's a bad start. And actually one of the things you mentioned while well, we were having beers the other day, the safety issue, safe playgrounds, all that sort of stuff. What is all that about? <laughs> Tell us a bit about that, because that's a great. Well, great look. Comment. Oh, where do we start? You know what's happening in schools. Some schools around the world, they they know. I mean, we've known this for ages. Um, I think law has come in way too often um, in some parts of the world and created this idea that safety is better because there's less lawsuits. So our kids are safer and they're going to be better for it. Obviously, the, the opposite's true. Life is full of risks. Kids need to experience risks. Kids need to climb a tree and possibly fall out of that tree to then learn that, hey, some things I do in life will have severe consequences. Now, we don't want kids to die, obviously, and that's the fine line. But you know, I watched this documentary a while ago about a, a school in Norway where kids were climbing these birch trees, which were 15 metres high, um, and that was just, you know, what the school did to enable that. Parents wouldn't stick around because they couldn't fathom the idea, but they trusted that that was the right process. Why don't we embrace that more? 
kids have a whale of a time. I remember climbing amazingly tall trees as a kid and I'd feel super uncomfortable watching my own kid doing it now. Yeah. But I, I learned so much from it and there's no way you're going to let go of that branch. No way. Even like, you know, in the surf, I will let my kid venture out until... And look, I'm, I understand that he can get washed out by a wave, but I don't want to tell the child that they're in danger. I want them to experience that for themselves. And um, during summer this year, the little fella got washed up by a wave and he was... Um, the, the water levels at his uh, neck and uh, a bit of a swell came through lost his footing and went underwater completely now I was there to pull him out I could have prevented that from happening but I would have taken away that learning opportunity he came out I got him I'm like wow that was a big wave you need to make sure that you know you watch out because sometimes it gets deep and those experiences time and time again uh, I think arm the kids for um just being more aware of their, their world, their surroundings, and being prepared. Risk is good. More risk, please. <laughs> Let's bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, highly aware of your time, Dom. It's been great having this chat, and uh, I look forward to the next one. Thanks yeah. ever so much for taking the time to spend with us. Richard, pleasure. You're doing an awesome job. Um, keep it happening. You're obviously um, passionate about this and helping a lot of dads out. So, mate, full support. Well done to you, mate. Cheers. Likewise with the program. Legend. Well, that's all from Dom for now. But if you'd like to find out more about his program or just get in touch with him, go over to thedadmindset.com where I'll include all the details in the show notes. Now, I look forward to catching up with you soon. But in the meantime, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. (laughs) 